0: FMR 101.3. People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turine Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and time for People of Notes. Rodney Trudgeon here, and I'd like to introduce you to my guest this evening, Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson, who's been in the country for just over a week, giving a series of six lectures called Literature for Troubled Times. Dr. Jean is a leading authority on British poets of the First World War. She was described recently as the Doyenne of war poet biographers. She has written highly acclaimed lives of, among others, Siegfried Sassoon, Isaac Rosenberg, Charles Hamilton, Sawley, and Edward Thomas. And her most recent biography, Robert Graves, from Great War Poet to Goodbye to All That, was published in autumn 2018 to mark the centenary of the 1918 armistice. And it won rave reviews and a demand for a book on the second half of his life. So, Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson, welcome to Fine Music Radio, welcome to People of Notice. Thank Great you. to have you here. You've been very busy, haven't you, doing all these lectures <laughs> all week? But you know, the very first question I want to ask you, perhaps a little bit obviously, is why First World War poets? What has grabbed you about them?
1: <laughs> Quite a... Sorry, may I answer that? Yes,
0: please do. Quite <laughs> a
1: simple answer, really, and one that I'm slightly ashamed of, that my husband had always, he knew Isaac Rosenberg's sister, Annie Winnick, for many years, and she was terribly sad because Isaac Rosenberg was not known as a First World War poet until late on in the history of war poetry, and he had promised her before she died that he would give her the pleasure, and he would make sure, because he was a small publisher, this was my husband Cecil Wolfe, that he would make sure that she would have her biography of her brother. And so, well, first of all, he commissioned a friend of ours because I was busy doing my, my doctorate at the time. And she went off to Victor Galanx when she'd finished the whole business.
0: Victor Galanx, the publisher.
1: Yes, because yes. he was a bigger publisher and he offered her a larger advance. And my dear husband and I, because I already knew quite a lot about poetry then, we had helped her for six Years to prepare for this and he was completely devastated and I said to him never mind one of my rasher well I'm always rash but one of my rasher statements I said never mind I will write a biography well hers was announced for a year hence so it wasn't a long time that I had I was also expecting my second child so the poor child (laughs) was brought up between marches up and down the high street to exhaust him And his mother, totally preoccupied, rushing out a biography of Isaac (laughs) Rosenberg. And in the process, I became fascinated by this character whose sister, I can't remember her first name, but his sister had moved to Cape Town to marry someone Jewish, because they were a very Jewish family, of course, from the East End. And she invited him out. He'd done a a degree in art at Mm -hmm. Slade, well, a a diploma or whatever they give you, and he was at a loose end. His lungs were not good, and she said, come out to Cape Town. So he came out, and as he came out here, things hotted up in Europe, and he was here the day war was declared, and he wrote his first war poem, in Cape Town. <laughs> Miles away from the yeah, the action. Gosh. Absolutely. So after many years of, of, of this I mean all all three biographies because as soon as anybody knows you're writing a biography, they they bring their long buried biography out of the cupboard. After several years they decided that we would write another. I decided. This mm-hmm. one was rushed. It wasn't good. There was no new material, everybody told me. And so I I went ahead and one of my students in London, a lawyer, she said to me, are you going to Cape Town? And I said, no, I can't. I can't afford to go to Cape Town. And she said, my partner and I have a a house in, uh, I think it was Fredahook. And why don't you go and stay there? We're not there. We're in London most of the, the winter. And she said, you go and stay there. You'll rattle around in it. So I went. Oh,
0: and that was your first visit. It, would it was my first here.
1: visit to Cape Town. She said, you'll love it. And um, so I was very grateful to her. But the, f- the material that I discovered in Cape Town was extraordinary. And when the biography came out, everybody was very cross who'd <laughs> written the, f- the first biographies because yes. they hadn't come. I mean, I discovered that his uncle had been a rabbi. In District Six, that his sister had lived in District Six, that he'd had a long relationship with Betty Maltino and the Maltino family yes. that she'd taken him up. I mean it was quite amazing what emerged from a simple visit.
0: Where did you get all the information from? Did you get it from the libraries or where did you find all this
2: well material? i
1: had I had a lot of information on his life generally, um, but um i went I went to the library and I went. To all the sources that I could locate in the original biographies, because we all had something by hearsay
2: mm-hmm. from
1: Cape Town, but none of us had ever been here. And so I followed it all up. And the Jewish a lot of Jewish organizations were helpful, people who had known Rosenberg's family and his his sister, his brother in law, all of those people were still was still here when he came out, of course. And they all had children, and, and a lot of his painting was done here. And, of course, he's a painter-poet.
0: Mm-hmm. Gosh, and that, what a combination that is. Yes. Anyway, I want to explore more of this poetry in a moment, but let's just see what sort of music you've chosen. Old Man River, sung by Paul Robeson, is your first choice. Is there a specific reason for this?
1: Well, yes, because you asked me about the music that had figured in my life. Yes. And that is the first music that I really remember. My father had been in the Second World War fighting, and I had never seen my father until I was six... Well, not knowingly seen... No, I don't think I'd seen him. My mother gave birth... while he was in, in France. And when he came back after the war had finished... His um, his music filled the house, and I associated it with my first knowledge of my father. And his great love was Negro spirituals, particularly Paul Robeson. He wasn't an educated man, but he was a very, very clever man. And he had very musical tastes, but he wasn't educated musically. My mother was the same. She was Irish and was full of Irish Focus he just
0: loved, music, yes. just loved the music, just loved the music. Yes, and he
1: played the piano by ear and yes. they'd have big parties and he would just play whatever you asked him. So he was quite musical, but Paul Robeson was always being played.
0: Indeed. Here's Paul Robeson to sing Old Man River. A bit of a classic, that Old Man River, sung by the great Paul Robeson, and the first choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note, Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson, whom, as I said, is a leading authority on British poets of the First World War. And Jean, it was interesting hearing how you came to be in Cape Town, and presumably quite liked it, because you've been back a number of times, haven't you, for lectures, which is why you're here now.
1: Well, a number of times is putting it quite mildly. <laughs> it's
0: about, what, 15 this or is 16th. my
1: 15th year, and every year, because what happened after I had come out here, and done my research and found all this new material, published my biography. I wrote at the suggestion of a South African friend. She said, write to UCT summer school and ask them if they're interested in a lecture on Rosenberg. So I thought, well, you know, it's a little bit limited. So I said, what about... a a course of lectures on First World War poets, because by that time I was interested in further... I mean, one thing leads to another, Mm, doesn't it? Indeed, indeed. And they did invite me out. And that was my first series of lectures. And when I'd finished, I mean, there was a big audience. I wasn't used to 200 people in the audience. (laughs) I was used to my seminars with 20 people at London University. And so when I'd finished, the lady who headed... The, the summer school Ingrid Fisk at the at that time said to me and what are you going to propose for us next year which made me feel very good yes and I said well I said my husband is the nephew of Leonard Wolfe what about a course on Bloomsbury the Bloomsbury group mm-hmm. he knew Virginia Wolfe his aunt until he was thir- 14 and she, or 13 she died she said Jean I will decide what we <laughs> do next year do you know what it was Bloomsbury. Oh, was it? And do you know what? The audience was twice the size. Wow. Four hundred people in that big lecture theatre. Mm-hmm. Fantastic for them. But I mean, people, for me.
0: people are fascinated by that whole Bloomsbury circle, aren't they? And Virginia Woolf and so on. I, I sort of wonder why. Maybe the answer's obvious.
1: No. No, when I first met Cecil, he didn't understand it and he was quite determined that nobody was going to give him any work. Because he was related to anyone from the Bloomsbury group. Oh, really? And it took me about 20 years to convince him (laughs) that if if we played on the fact that he was, you know, the descendant of Bloomsbury, it might sell the books a bit more. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: And it obviously did. Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Gosh. Now, one of the things I want you to do, Jean, as we chat away here, is perhaps read a poem or two. Yes. Certainly the Wilfred Owen poems. When we did our joint lecture, we combined it with Britain's War Requiem, and Benjamin Britton used the poems of Wilfred Owen in his War Requiem, and I thought maybe... We can have one of the Wilfred Owen poems. Would you read one for us? Of course I would. And will. entirely your choice. Although we did mention the opening, the first one that Benjamin Britten uses, What Passing Bells Are These?
1: Yes, For Those you Who know. Die As Cattle. Yeah. It's called, and this was the first poem that um, that Owen wrote after he had met Siegfried Sassoon. He met Sir Siegfried Sassoon in what they called the Looney bin. <laughs> which was a hospital for nervous diseases.
0: So almost a
1: real loony bin. Absolutely. People who had come back from the front, shell-shocked, as they called it in those days. But Sassoon wasn't shell-shocked, and he was very cross to be there. He was just awkward. He'd protested against the war, so they put him in the loony bin. And so when when he was there and Wilfred Owen appeared, he'd already read Sassoon's first volume of poetry, and he appeared at the door, with all these poems under his arms, to be signed for his friends. And, of course, soon loved it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure he did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Wilfred Owen, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Wilfred Owen in a moment, but let us hear the first of the poems that Benjamin Britten chose for inclusion in the war requiem. Mm-hmm. It's an anthem to youth, is it?
1: Anthem for doomed youth. It's anthem called. for
0: doomed youth. Yes.
1: And it's it's a sonnet, but it it uses the all the terminology of the funeral mm, service. That's right. That's right. The orisons, which are the prayers, of course, and the, um, the the you know the the passing bell, which is what is sounded when the funeral is taking mm-hmm. place,
0: and which Benjamin Britten uses and in, in that opening. Of, and
1: and he uses bugles, which appear very frequently in the poetry, and also the way in which people left behind mourn. The way they pull the blinds down in those days because mm-hmm. it was respectful to do so. Right. The girls left behind. The flowers that they couldn't give uh, appear in the poem in a different guise. I'll read it.
0: Please do. Here we go.
1: Anthem for doomed youth. What passing bells for these who die as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns. Only the stuttering rifles' rapid rattle can patter out their hasty orisons. No mockeries now for them, no prayers nor bells, nor any voice of mourning, save the choirs, the shrill, demented choirs of wailing shells and bugles calling for them from sad shires. What candles may be held to speed them all, not in the hands of boys, the church, of course, the church servers, not in the hands of boys, but in their eyes shall shine the holy glimmers of goodbyes. The pallor of girls' brows shall be their pall, their flowers the tenderness of patient minds, and each slow dusk a drawing down of blinds.
0: It's remarkably powerful, isn't it? It's Wilfred a, wonderful,
1: Owen. He's a wonderful poet, mm. and I was very cross, because my, my main poet is Siegfried Sassoon. <laughs> And it was Siegfried Sassoon who gave him the title, who gave him wonderful things like the monstrous anger of the guns, who helped him, who changed his poetry completely. And yet it's Owen who can do it.
0: It is amazing. Gosh. And the fact that Benjamin Britten chose those five or six poems for the war requiem. And that's the one that comes up first. Benjamin, just may I say, Jean, that Benjamin Britten included the poems of Wilfred Owen in the Roman Catholic Requiem Mass. So the Masses of Verdi and Berlioz and so on, he, Benjamin Ritten, used that basic Roman Catholic text and then interspersed these poems to extraordinary effect in the piece. Anyway, thank you for doing that, and now we're going to have another piece of music, quite a different piece of music, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, my goodness me.
1: Yes, well, I was very fortunate, because when I was about 11, my aunt, my sophisticated sister, who'd who'd left Liverpool, where my mother was born, she was an orphan at the age of two, her mother died, and everybody was very poor, it was working class, and my aunt got out quickly. She had an education in art, and, and she was very, very ambitious socially, and she met an officer from the British Army eventually, and she married him. They had three children, and so she got out. But, of course, in getting out, she got out into a larger culture, into a better education through her husband, and it had ended. She divorced the husband. One of the things that she really learned about was music, and she came back, and with her she brought Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, long player in those days, I Mm -hmm. think it was, Mm -hmm. And I associate, we had a lovely house by the seaside, where the coast were so soon through his medal. It was very interesting. And so she played it every night. So for me, again, there's this awfully strong association between my emotions as this music, which I didn't understand, kept being played. And, of course, there's nothing like repetition for making one begin to see what it's all about. Mm,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll have to have an excerpt. Yes. Because it's a 35 minute ballet. So oh, here's yes. part of The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky. see, it's quite an extraordinary work that The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky scored for a huge orchestra and it was the second choice of my guest, just that little excerpt Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson whom, as I've said, has been in South Africa in the past couple of weeks doing a series of lectures called Literature for Troubled Times much of which focused on the First World War poets and Jean read one of Wilfred Owen's poems just now, but I want to Just shift the focus away a little bit from war and poetry and find out just a little bit more about you, Jean. You've mentioned um, little bits about your family and all that, but is your mother or father, were they musicians or poets or anything?
1: No, no, they were both very working class. My father's father died in the First World War, just three months after he was born. My mother's mother died of TB because they lived in such insanitary conditions. And so they were both, in a way, lost souls. Mm. And uh, they married and had a a large family. They weren't happy together, I don't think. But as I say, both of them were musical in their own way. Mm. So I grew up with a lot of music. But it was my aunt who introduced me to what I would say was more classical music. And But to the end of her life, my mother loved music. Jean,
0: what drew you to poetry and to the world of literature
1: well my aunt really i she didn't she didn't say poetry to me but she she made me feel i could do anything so having been a working class girl who didn't expect to go to university and who went to the local grammar school you only had to be sort of vaguely clever to get to the local grammar school <laughs> <laughs> um i was asked to well, I wasn't asked. I said, I want to go to university. And when they said, what do you want to read? Of course, I said, what every young lady says, English literature. And it was there that I learnt fully to appreciate English poetry, French poetry. Well, mainly English poetry, English and American poetry. And your doctorate, Jean, what, what was that for? Well, as I finished my degree, in my first degree, I thought... I don't want to stop doing this. And I had a lovely. You mean studying? Yes. And I had a lovely professor, and I said, I can't afford to go on. We did have free places for a first degree. And he said, Oh, well, would you like to do an MA? So I said, Yes, please. So I did my master's at the same place, which was at London University, a woman's college. And then when I'd finished that, I thought, I don't want to stop. So then I went on to do a phd and by that time i had written a life of the first life of isaac rosenberg rather rapidly
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i thought i love biography so how can i go on because nobody had ever done a biography as um, a doctorate so i did a, a doctorate on I can't remember, Henry James, somebody like that. And then my my first biography came out of that.
0: When you became interested in these First World War poets, which is the big thing, a leading authority you called on uh, British poets of the First World War, like Siegfried Sassoon, uh, Wilfred Owen, Isaac Rosenberg, whom we've spoken about, Charles Hamilton and so on, Charles Hamilton and Sorley, um, was there something specific that attracted you to war poems?
1: Yes, as, sorry to be so very decisive.
0: <laughs> no, that's very good. Yeah. Uh, yes,
1: I yes I do know what attracted me. Uh, well, of course I've thought about it, and I've been asked that question occasionally. I think what attracted me was, as a biographer, you you had to write a real biography. You had to take into account the background. You had to take into account the education. You had to take into account the conditions that were prevailing. You had to take into account the drama. I mean, the poetry of the First World War is so intense because Mm, they're all living Mm. through this incredibly emotional time. And I loved the combination. And I loved the fact that I didn't have to explain to the critics why I was dealing with the life and the work. So, I mean, if I think about it, that's what I would say.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I know Wilfred Owen, principally through having got to know the War Requiem and then exploring more of Wilfred Owen and reading about him. But Siegfried Sassoon is a name that I don't know. And as you said, he was a great influence, wasn't he, on Wilfred Owen?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I think we owe Owen's existence as a poet.
0: Oh, really? Would you say that?
1: Well, I, not as a poet, but as the poet whom we consider the best to come out of the First World War, definitely. Mm. Mm-hmm. And Sassoon himself was from a Jewish family. And I wrote the first biography
0: of, of
2: Sassoon.
1: Siegfried Sassoon, who is the best known war poet in England.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, because
1: dear. people were not allowed to. He had a very jealous uh, literary p- patron or whatever. So I was, I think by this, this time the son was getting a bit fed up. And he said, I want a biography of my father. And I said to him, I will write one, but you have to authorize it. You don't have to make it the official one. You have to authorize it. And when it came out, there was so much to say that they demanded the second volume.
0: Oh, right. Which you also wrote.
1: Yes, which right, I also right. wrote. So we're
0: going to have another music break now, Jean. Yes. And I haven't uh, given up on asking you to read another poem yet, no, but we're coming good. to that. And you've chosen... Another piece here with Scarletti. Is it Scarletti? Yes.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, several. It's not a specific piece, but just that early music Mm -hmm. that I had not. This was my musical education. I was appointed as visiting lecturer in English literature at Munich University. Well, anybody musical would die to get to Munich. Yes, of course. And I didn't appreciate it fully. But when I got there, they said, oh, well. Now you're going to have to be educated. And one of the things that the great friend who was going to educate me did was introduce me. And she had her own keyboard and she played all these things. Oh, she had a wonderful and she sang in the Munich Choral Society. So, yes, it was just a delightful introduction to that music and to a sort of another layer of sophistication to my musical appreciation.
0: Yes, he's Scarlett, he wrote something like 500 or 550 short
1: sonatas,
0: <laughs> so let's select one and have a listen. <laughs> Maria Tipo, there was the pianist in that sonata by Domenico Scarlatti, and it was the third choice of my guest on this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio, Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson, whom, as I've said a few times, has been in South Africa doing a series of lectures called Literature for Troubled Times. And in fact, um, this brings me, Jean, to one of the other poets, C.P. Kafafis, because you did a talk on C.P. Kafafi while you were here in Cape Town doing that lecture series, but how did he, C.P. Kafafi, come into the mix?
1: Um, because I think I have a feeling I need to make him better known. Ah, that's because, a good enough reason. Because I think he's a wonderful poet, and because... He was troubled, but he didn't show it. And his his poetry is very positive. He was a homosexual at a time when homosexuality was not something that was easy to deal with. Mm. And yet he didn't apologize. He didn't feel ashamed of it. He didn't try to be anything else except what he was. And then the poetry itself is is the main thing.
0: Is it in any way similar to the poetry of Sassoon and Owen? Was it quite, quite diff- different? Is it quite, quite different? Quite
1: different. He had been in England because his father was a Greek from from Egypt, so Alexandria. Mm. And Lawrence Durrell's Four Quartets, full of references to this poet, the old poet, he'd called him. He lived oh, in Alexandria, okay. mm. so if you read the four qu- quartets, <laughs> you will find that um, you know Kafafi comes in at almost every page, and it was in that those quartets that the first translations appeared.
0: So, give us a taste, Jean, if you if you're up to it, if you feel like it, and I hope you do, of one of Kafafi's poems.
1: Yes. What What would, what would you like me to do?
0: Well, I'd like you to read one. Please. Yes, yes, yes. And which one would you like to read for us?
1: Well, I can. There is. Ithaca
0: Yes let's re- let's do Ithaca because it's not one of the very long ones is it
1: It's not it's not very long it's it's not short but it's not very long and it's based on his time in England when his father died and his mother moved to England because they hadn't got any money mm-hmm. so England was cheaper in those days and when he got there he was educated in the English schools and was introduced to Tennyson who wrote the most wonderful poem, uh, which is called Ulysses, um, based on the journey back from the Trojan Wars. And uh, as someone who was, you know, who was himself um, not troubled, but, you know, was, was, was very much a poet, Tennyson made a great deal of this. And then Kafafi loved this poem and he wrote his own version and ah. he, of course ithaca is the same because ithaca is where ulysses odysseus whatever you call him is making for mm. 20 years he's been away yes and he's returning to his island of ithaca but it's small and he hates the idea of being trapped <laughs> oh, now honestly. that he's been out into the into world. the real
0: world yes, yes, yes so
1: yes. so th- so this is is really the poem that he wrote about going back to Ithaca okay. and the journey back. Yes?
0: Yes, let's hear it.
1: Let's hear it. When you set out on the journey to Ithaca, pray that the road belong full of adventures, full of knowledge, the Lystragonians and the Cyclopes, the raging Poseidon, do not fear, all, of course, characters in the Greek myths. You'll never find the likes of these on your way, if lofty be your thoughts, if rare emotion touches your spirit and your body. So these monsters, the least dragonians and the cyclopes of fierce Poseidon, you will not encounter unless you carry them along within your soul, unless your soul raises them before you. Pray that the road be long. That there be many a summer morning when with what delight, what joy, you will enter into harbours yet unseen, that you may stop at Phoenician Emporia and acquire all the fine wares, mother of pearl and coral, amber and ebony, and sensuous perfumes of every kind, as many sensuous perfumes as you can, that you may visit many an Egyptian city to learn and learn again from lettered men. In other words, the journey, as Montaigne said, not the arrival matters. Always keep Ithaca in your mind. To arrive there is your final destination, but do not rush the voyage in the least. Better it last for many years, and once you're old, cast anchor on the isle, rich with all you've gained along the way, expecting not that Ithaca will give you uh, wealth. Ithaca gave you wondrous courage. Without her you'd never have set out. But she has nothing to give you any more. Last three lines. If then you find her poor, Ithaca has not deceived you. As wise as you've become with such experience, by now you will have come to know what Ithaca's really mean.
0: That's quite a poem that's quite um, a lot of sort of imagery and all sorts of stuff in there.
1: I know, I know. And he was, of <coughs> course, because he was Greek, Yeah, he was very familiar with the Greek, as, as Tennyson was with the, the classical literature. Mm-hmm. And they all both based their poems on this journey back when he gets there. And he's, Tennyson's poem is particularly exciting, especially for my husband, who died two years ago, because it's about being old.
0: Hmm.
1: But not giving up.
0: Right, right, right.
1: You know, and of of carrying on with the adventure of life. And, you know, we, and though we are not as we once were, we'll set out again on the voyage. Indeed. Yes.
0: Indeed, wise words. We're going to have some Mozart now, Jean. Good. What have you chosen
1: well, I I mean you know, I've left you to choose really okay. because I have well, an awful th- lot of favourites. I mean I You mentioned
0: the concertos, the <laughs> flutes over and clarinet concertos. Yes. Shall we have one of those?
1: Yes, that would be lovely. Play play the perhaps the flute because my husband took up the flute when he went into the army. You could carry it with you.
0: Yes, of course. Okay. Yeah <laughs> then let's have the last movement of Mozart's flute concerto, the one in G. Well, that's part of the last movement of Mozart's Flute Concerto in G Emmanuel Parhood was the flautist The principal flute of the Berlin Philharmonic Conducted by Claudio Abado And it was another choice of my guest this week on People of Note Dr. Jean Moorcroft-Wilson Jean, as we approach the end of the program Earlier you said Literature for Troubled Times Which was the theme of the lectures that you did for us here in Cape Town In the last couple of weeks And you also mentioned earlier that you can interpret that literature for troubled times in different ways, can't you? Is it the literature for troubled times? Is it what is it?
1: Well, I I think I think what what impressed me was when I wrote to a great friend of mine, Professor Edna Longley, who's a great poetry critic, and who's Michael Longley, great Irish poet, is her husband. Hmm. And I wrote to her and I thought she will tell me. And I wrote to her and said, Edna, can you remember, can you Give me the titles of some poetry for troubled times. And she wrote back and she said, you know, this has caused Michael and I great heartache because do you mean literature about troubled times or do you mean literature that we go to in troubled times? Because for they comfort. Be, yes, for comfort, and that can be completely different. mm And so, in a way, Kafafi is a kind of, you know, I I cheering myself up with some poetry. Mm -hmm. So it was mixture. And Owen? And Owen, well, that was part of my First World War lecture series. Mm. Um, But I mean, his poetry. poetry.
0: Yes. It's not perhaps as uplifting as that poem you read by Kafafi is what I meant. Yes. He's he's much more like the one you read at the beginning, What Passing Bells. There's lots of tragedy in them. The famous strange meeting, that long poem that Benjamin Britten set to close off the Requiem, which has that extraordinary line in it. These two wounded soldiers, an Englishman and a German, meet in a trench. And there's that goose flesh line where the one says to the other, I am the enemy you killed, my friend, and spoke about how he jabbed with his bayonet. Mm-hmm. It's powerful stuff, isn't that? And oh, it's, very. it's mm-hmm. sad. It's tragic.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's also poetry and it's uplifting.
0: Well, because of the beautiful language, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. So, Jean, do you think, are we likely to see you again, just before I let you go? Um, would you come out and do... You you can't break your record now of so many visits to South Africa.
1: Well, if um, if I'm allowed, I mean, for the past two years I haven't been allowed to come out. Well, because out,
0: of the pandemic, Because yes. of the
1: pandemic, but if anybody... Wants me to come out. <laughs> I will certainly come out immediately. <laughs>
0: okay. And do you enjoy being in Cape Town? When you saw it the first time when you came out to do the Rosenberg studies, did it immediately kind of click, oh, I like this place, I think I'll stay here, or come and visit more often?
1: You're seriously asking an English person <laughs> who has come from winter, <laughs> stepping out of a plane where it's almost too hot, hmm. did I like it? <laughs>
0: answer taken (laughs) you answered that beautifully but Gina it's been great talking to you it was lovely attending your lecture on Wilfred Owen and we also did the War Requiem and I hope that you do come back and that um, I hope also people have been inspired to read some of your books and also perhaps to take a closer look at people like Siegfried Sassoon Isaac Rosenberg Charles Hamilton saw whom we didn't speak about and of course the great Wilfred Owen yes. as you can hear who my favourite is
1: mm-hmm. yes. Thank, Thank you. you very much
0: It was great to speak to you, my guest Dr. Jean Moorcroft Wilson on People of Note this week and People of Note is brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions FMR 101.3